Grounded Radio is a podcast on creativity, well-being, personal growth, and spiritual journeys. The ladies of Grounded embark on a journey of what it means to be our most authentic self and lead a well-balanced life. Be inspired and tune in to the raw conversations that bridge our human connection and raise our frequencies. This is Grounded Radio. Hello, beautiful beings. You are now tuning in to the Grounded Podcast, where we share your well-being, art, and lifestyle stories to connect and inspire. This is Bianca. Hi, this is Marika. And our guest today is someone we're really excited to have on. I met her the night before I got engaged in one of her natural habitats, surrounded by horses. Since then, almost every encounter with her has been meaningful, insightful, and profound in some way. A dynamic media maven, daring equestrian, and stylish traveler, she has a unique way of connecting with and understanding beings great and small, be they human, animal, or otherwise. Her confident yet healing energy is out of this world, yet she remains one of the most grounded people I know. Give it up for Kat Holigores! Wow, I was wondering who you were talking about then. <laughs> hi, Kat! Hi, hi Bianca! Welcome hi, Marika! Thank you, hi. thanks for having me. Thank you for Thank coming Thank you so on. much. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So, Kat, we noticed you've been busy with your new fur baby slash, <laughs> I love this term, ambassador horse yes. <laughs> at Mabel Bailey's on Instagram. Can you tell us a bit about her? Oh, I mean, I'd love to tell you about her. Uh, she was like a blessing for me because I found her literally the month that lockdown started to happen. So she is a mare, which for those who aren't familiar with horse terms, is a female horse. Her breed is a Holsteiner. That's a German breed. And she's a show jumper. So, you know, she has wow. provided me hours of calm and connection. Because as most of you know, the best way to find your connection is to be with something made by nature, right? So if you're a plantita or a halamom, <laughs> for example, which is all these new terms. If you're a fur mom, it just helps that. There's something in you that's taking care of something else that's considered helpless, considering the environment around us. So that's uh, what babies is. And, you know, the, the joke of ambassadors is because, you know, I, I've been seeing Instagram posts in the last years where people put their own accounts for their pets. And their pets end up becoming endorsers, you know. So I'm like, I would like to have the first horse endorser in the Philippines So. If there are any brands out there who need a beautiful horse, and she is truly beautiful, I'm not biased. She really is. She Please is. Uh, hit me up or hit her up, <laughs> and let her pay you for herself. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it's true. I've heard. I have a my friend has a dog who started doing commercials. Mm -hmm. Like they just found him, and now mm -hmm. you know pays for his food and everything. Yeah. So I'm sure in no time Bailey's will like get on that train <laughs> yeah we want to be different i mean i love dogs as well but you know let's have another four-legged creature in the mix <laughs> love it and where did you your love for horses and animals in general come from like what made you want to be an equestrian well i mean at an early age i was exposed to animals because my mom always had dogs and we come from a, a family of people who were always around horses. My grandfather uh, used to, I guess, used to own race horses. So at an early age, we were exposed to them. And I just always felt an affinity. In fact, I can uh, look at some of the illustrations I did as a kid, and they were always horses. So there was already like a connection there. And as an equestrian, well, it was just a sport that 
I felt if I love horses so much, I mean, most of us grow up having ridden in Baguio at some point in Wright Park or in the Baguio Country Club Trail. I don't know if that exists anymore. So I felt, well, if I love horses uh, so much, I might as well learn how to ride them properly and safely. So I started riding at a, at a rather early age. And it's with the irony that I am allergic to horses. <laughs> so when oh, I started, no yeah, when I started, I guess I'm allergic to their, to their fur, right? So when I started competing, getting a little bit more serious in my teenage years, it was always a nightmare because it always looked like I was crying because my eyes would get red. I'd be teary. <laughs> I'd be sniffling, you know, but I, I think I, I just powered through it. Do you think someone who is a bit older can learn how to ride horses or is it something you have to learn in your youth? Um, you know, equestrian sports actually is one wherein if the older you get, I mean, if you started when you're younger, the older you get, the better you are because it's not necessarily about physical strength which is interesting, especially to us women, because it's probably the only Olympic sport where men and women compete in the same platform. So you know how, you know, swimming, tennis, all the other physical sports, there's the men's division and the women's division in the Olympic, well, in equestrian sports, whether it's the World Games or the Olympics, men and women are in the same level. So right. it really isn't about physical strength. In terms of age, you know, I, I believe the oldest competing Olympian at one point was a Japanese gentleman. He was in his 70s, which is unheard wow. of. So That's to amazing. Learn, yeah, I mean, to learn, obviously, it's much easier when you're younger because you're, I would like to say you're less fearful. You know, you have less mental blocks. Also learning something when you're young, you know, a lot of it is muscle memory and endurance. And, you know, truth be told, the younger you are, if you are healthy, you really can outlast somebody much older. But definitely somebody who's older can learn to ride. I wouldn't say they will be able to compete on a like an international scale, but I could be wrong. But definitely learn how to ride, yes. Just knowing the dangers that it is a, it is a, a living being that has a personality that is prone to fear, prone to shock, prone to accidents so you know there are risks involved like some of the bigger and more serious accidents with horses happen at a walk when you're off guard when you as a rider are off your guard because you know it's a walk so like well, how bad can a walk be and if the horse even doesn't even spook it trips and you fall badly then that could result in a you know very serious injury so those are the risks involved and how has the relationship with your horse make you become a better person? And can you share with us what you think are great lessons that horses can teach us? I, I don't want to limit it to horses, but I think with animals in general, if you learn how to take care of, again, another living being that is helpless, right? Because it, it can't communicate. You, you can't ask it, oh, are you feeling sick? What do you feel? With horses, though, it's a, it's a big creature. So there is some humidity involved because even if you ride, like say a horse in Baguio, that horse still outweighs you. So it's really doing you a favor by allowing you to be on its back and allowing you to manipulate it, correct? Because really at any point, if it really, really wanted you off its back, it can. It'll do whatever it takes to get you off. So there is humility involved. There's also focus because again, it's kind of like driving a car, 
you can lose your concentration for a split second and your world will completely change. So you need to be mentally present when you're on a horse at all times. Again, because as I said, even at a walk, if your horse trips or if your horse uh, spooks at something, you're off its back without knowing it. So you need to have, I, I learned this a term, you know, you have to have this connectedness. And that's kind of like what, what meditation always tries to get you to do. It's a connection to yourself. It's a connection to your breath. It's a connection to something around you. So with a horse, there's a connection because you're in relationship 100% when you're, when you're riding or when you're with your horse. So that is, I think, the biggest lesson is awareness and that connection. It's just knowing, it's being present totally in that moment because it could be absolutely life-saving. I know that sounds dramatic, but you can Google Not it. Not at all, no. Okay, so it, yeah. it's, it's, it's that. So with a dog, I mean, obviously, you know, you play with your dog or, you know, like Sunny Jim with your cat, you know, you play with your cat and then they kind of go off and you're fine. Or if you leave your cat or your dog lying on the floor for a bit, it's fine. With the horse, you're on it, you know, you're, you're riding it or you're holding it, you're leading it and it can cause serious damage if you're unaware and you kind of get, I'm not saying you're like stressed all the time, like, oh, what's going to happen? It's more like you're aware that there's this huge creature in front of you or, you know, that you're mounted on. And if it does something, you may, you have to make sure that, you know, you, that it's listening to you. So there's that, that focus and that awareness, that alertness and connection. Yeah. And would you say it's something that also keeps you centered, like you said, meditation. Yeah, in a way. for sure. Because one thing you have to learn is there has to be some trust between you and the animal. Again, because it's allowing you to be on its back, to do things that are not natural for it, like show jumping, or if you see dressage, which is like movements that the horse has to do in a certain pattern in a certain way. So it has to trust that you are not going to put it in any danger. And then you have to also trust that, you know, your horse is going to take you over those jumps or take you to those movements so the centeredness is one building your confidence in your skill building the relationship between you and the animal and we are all in relationship with everything and anyone around us so this is just another level of that because unlike the three of us we can communicate with words words that we can understand right with a horse or with another animal it's a different way of getting what you want done and getting them to trust you and vice versa. So yeah, for sure. Centeredness because the horses are very empathic creatures. So they feel you when you're scared. Right. You can't hide that because you're so close to them. The vibration, I mean, animals are sensitive to that, right? In the same way your animals can tell when somebody's in the room and doesn't like dogs or doesn't like cats or maybe has done something not very nice towards an animal, they can sense it. So all the more a horse, and I guess, remember, a horse is considered prey, right? It's a herbivore. It's not a predator. So horses, like most animals that are prey, are always alert. They have to be super sensitive to the world around them because they could be someone's next meal. So there is, an, again, they're not a hunter. So then again, you have to remember the fact that they will always be on the flight mode rather than the fight mode. Then fight mode. Yeah, because they're not, they're not predators. They don't have to hunt for food. So they have to run away if they feel a threat. I agree. When I find that, when, let's say I'm in distress or stressed out or 
even let's say crying, Sunny Jim will just run over. Mm. So they're very sensitive. And not saying that all cats are as responsive <laughs> as that, because Rory doesn't For care. Sure. She'll just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you do you over there. But aside from being in nature and being with animals, are there any other things you do on the daily that keep your energy in check? Well, I mean, I do my best to meditate twice a day. It's a challenge. I recently read an article that the reason why we all suck at meditation because we're not meant to meditate. It's something our brain really isn't wired to do because we're wired to do get stuff done. So when you're trying to train yourself to do absolutely nothing, in terms of thinking, I'm not saying like sit and watch Netflix and eat popcorn the whole day, which I'm wired to do. But to be able to shut the brain off is not the brain's purpose. The brain's purpose is to be able to problem solve, think, plan. So the reason why meditation is so hard is because you're telling the brain to do something it's not supposed to do. So I try to do that and I try to wake up with a breath work meditation. And then I try to go to bed with something to sort of leave the day behind. So I, I would re- recommend meditation for everybody and anyone. Even if you start off with one minute, do it. If you can do meditation, like really get your brain to shut off and focus on yourself and your breath for one whole minute straight the first time, you're a genius. I mean, you're, you're fantastic. I still get frustrated when I can't go for like a full minute of just focusing on my breath because, you know, we're, I'm like, okay. Hmm, I wonder what's for dinner or, oh, what do I have to do today? I mean, it's normal. So meditation is a tool that I have reconnected with, especially during these times of COVID. (laughs) And how do you manage to stay positive in the face of uncertainty, despite the dark forces and heavy energy or shadow, energy, whatever you want to call it, what's happening in the world right now? Well, I'm going to lie if I say I'm positive all the time because I'm not. I have my my lows. I, I definitely have my dips. And it's the perspective, again, that this is not something that I can control. I mean, nobody has control over what's happening right now. I mean, there is no government on this in this world that has like a fixed plan because how can they? So I guess keeps me going is... Sticking to what's obvious at the moment, and I know that this is going to sound a bit sort of out of touch, but looking at my life and sadly comparing it to those that have less options than I do with how they live. And I hate that comparison because it's a terrible comparison, especially now what's happening in the country with all the disasters that are happening and lack of any sort of direction. But then I say, well, you know, I'm also thankfully in a position where I can help others who may not have the same advantages that I do. My family is okay. The people that I love are okay. You know, work has been slow, but there are small things that are trickling in. So I have to just realize that I am really luckier than a majority of the population. And But I have to also allow myself to feel the frustration and the grief that this absolutely terrible new normal has given to all of us. And that's what everyone is going through. We're going through a trauma. Because even if you've not, knock on wood, lost a beloved to COVID or whatever, you've lost your old life. 
you know, you've lost that freedom of choice. You've lost that freedom of movement. You've lost that freedom to love the way you're used to loving, which is hugging people, kissing people, getting together with people, traveling to see people. I mean, Bianca and Quark knows this. I haven't seen my partner since March. You know? Yes, oh my goodness. And uh, it's difficult. And I was reflecting it on it the other day. And this is something that isn't abnormal. I mean, there are there are people who are in long-distance relationships, especially, let's say, our overseas Filipino workers or, or those who have a loved one who's working or studying abroad. But before, you can kind of plan. Like, ah, okay, I'll see you Christmas, you know, or I'll see you summer or I'll see you in three months. This is like, you can't really make a plan. So it's the unknown, I think, that is a dark thing for a lot of us. Because before, I mean, even with work, it's like, yeah, okay, I can work first quarter, take a break two weeks there, because whatever, let's say Easter or it's my birthday, I'm going to... Now, no, you can't, right? So it's saying, okay... Fine, I can't plan, but the country's slowly opening up, so let me make a compromise. I'll go travel local, help the economy there. But, of course, be prudent about it because the virus is still out there and you could still get it, or worse, you could give it to someone else, you know. So I guess it's that, Narika. It's, it's digging into your resourcefulness and looking at what you can do, what you're still allowed to do with yourself, with your time. And not what has, quote-unquote, been taken away from you. But hey, if you have those days when you feel like, okay, this is absolute shit. I feel Mm -hmm. awful. I don't want to get out of bed. Allow yourself to that. Because it's fair. It's fair to you. And if you can find help, I mean, if you can talk to a trusted friend or if you want to seek professional help, like a psychologist or a therapist, go do it. It's a time now. It's no longer... For me, a stigma to admit that you have you're having some mental breakdowns, emotional breakdowns, and you're not alone. So ask for help. Ask for help from someone you trust, even if it's like a, a relative or a friend who may not be a licensed uh, psychologist. Therapist yeah, or, or therapist, yeah. but somebody you trust, somebody who you think seems to have gotten it together during the pandemic and maybe he or she can give you some advice. I feel that when you're able to talk about your issue with someone, it allows you to process it better. It may not solve it, but it may allow you to see how to tackle that particular issue in a different way. Or sometimes when you talk about it, you realize, oh wait, it's not as big a deal as I thought it was because I can talk about it. And when I've been able to talk about it or like, get it off my chest. It doesn't affect me as it used to. So true. I find that speaking it aloud also really helps because you sometimes see it in the perspective of the the other person in a way, if that helps, even if they don't say anything and they're just listening. So sure. that was so beautiful. Thank you, Kat. We all needed to hear that. And I think I got that, goosebumps. <laughs> right? Right? And I like how you called it dips, like yeah. days with, you know, your lows, because we all have that. But we barely... Especially with social media, we barely see that because it's everyone's highlight reel. So it's nice to know that, like, you know, we're all going through this together. And moving on to the spiritual side of things, we're really curious how did you discover your, I don't know if you want to call it a gift or you're just your unique connection to the divine? Because we all 
we all can tap into that, but I find that you've been able to tap into it in a very, just a cool way, for lack of a better word. So how did you hone this? <laughs> wow. Uh, well, thank you. Um, the connection to the divine, I think, as you said, is everything, is something that everybody has because my belief, okay, this is not a religious belief. My belief is we all come from the same source. I would like to think that we were all created out of love. Okay, so love is a common source. Uh, you can refer to it as God. You can refer to it as the universe. I mean, whatever is whatever resonates with you is what you can call it. And I guess I was fortunate because in my family we do have uh, relatives who, if you, I mean, like they, their third eye is open. So I've grown up with an aunt, for example, who was a medium. I grew up with a grandmother who said she could feel spirits, you know. I, so in other words, it was all around me. So it wasn't like a freaky thing. And I guess when I was younger, I was probably eight. So we were living in, well, we've moved several times. We were, moved, we were living in a relatively big house. And I remember that I could see things move around me. You know, kind of like Alice in Wonderland where I would look at a doorknob and also it would get and it would get bigger and then smaller. Like it was almost like I could see it at a sort of molecular level. You know, I could actually see its atoms move and I could see it going bigger and smaller. In other words, size of certain things became perspective. And so I said, okay, that's really strange. And it would make me feel a bit disoriented. But I said, okay, this is my reality. I can look at an inanimate object and I can see it move, changing in shape and form. And then I remember one time I walked into my bedroom and I saw a man lying on my bed. So I was like, who's this? You know, but you're a kid, you're innocent. And I was like, okay. Then I blinked again and then the man was gone. I, it looked like the figure of a person, okay? And I'm saying it's a man, but seriously, it was really just like a, a bulky a bulky shadow on the bed. So I already, I already thought at that point, okay, there must be something there. And, you know, I would sometimes go through life and I would feel certain things, like how you got goosebumps, Marika. I would feel that in certain areas without people telling me what. And then back in 2010, much earlier than that, maybe 2002, 2003, I had, a, I had an experience with like a demon, I guess you'd call it a demon spirit, which was so real that I, it couldn't have been my imagination because there was actual physical weight that I felt on me. There was physical weight and movement on the, I think on the bed I was sitting in. So, you know, it was, it was all building up. And then by the time 2010 came, my father passed away in January and it was a tough time because, you know, at the beginning of the year and it was like a long struggle with my father's illness. That, uh, that the lady who eventually became my first energetic teacher started to give workshops. And seriously, it's all about who gets to you first in the spiritual world because you can go to someone who may be gifted, but their intentions are not very benevolent, you know, so you might end up becoming the manghuhula ng bayan. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, there are manghuhulas that that's their livelihood, right? So, they have clients who will not get, leave the house until they've spoken to their manghula. But my first teacher, I don't know if she wants to be mentioned here. She might, she might strangle me. Not that she, not that, not that it's a, a secret. It's just that she has a waiting list of, 
clients and patients and students is probably as long as, I don't know, as long as the street I live on. But anyway, so she was fantastic because one, she's a woman who is so well-rounded and so powerful. Like I have not met her equal. But it was always about becoming better at your skill in order to help yourself and help others. So it was never to be empowered to influence everything from politics or the way somebody lives their life. It was just to be able to figure out why things weren't working for a certain person in order for help them to move forward, not to teach them how to move. And it was always for me, like, it's never about conversion, right? I don't want to come in here and tell people, stop going to, Stop going, let's say, to church. I'm not saying that. Or stop believing in, in, in this and that. I'm not. I'm just saying find a way to connect to what you believe that is more powerful or the divine in you in order for you to be more divine to others and to hopefully teach them how to be divine to others as well. So it becomes, I, this word is very bad to use right now, it becomes contagious, right? <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's it's being able to walk into a room and having that energy where people feel happy and they don't know why they're happy it's not because i go in there and i do a stand-up comedy routine because that would be an epic fail but i go in there and i'm like feeling happy i'm feeling optimistic i you know i've had a good day and and somehow that energy even to people who don't know me they receive it, even if it's just a little bit. So it was honing that. And, and I think that's that, that's that's what's so powerful about Tina. I'm going to just mention her first name. It's what, I feel that when I see her, you know? And I'm like, wow, I want to be like that. I want to be that person who walks into a room and even if they don't know me, they're like, yeah, you feel good. I don't know why, you know? So that's that was Can my Can I just say to story. us, you are like that. That is... <laughs> Exactly right, Marika. Um, like, yep. yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'll wait if you ever. I mean, I'm sure you will. We can discuss this offline if you ever get to meet Tina. I mean, I'm like her toenail. I feel. <laughs> yeah, so we've, I've heard so much about her. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's it. Right. And what is spirituality to you? Is energy work and spirituality two separate things, mm. or? Is it one and the same? It, it depends, I guess, on what you think of spirituality, I suppose. Uh, traditional religion will think of it as, you know, prayer, doing, gosh, I don't even know, the sacraments, I suppose, like the Baptist. I'm just speaking for, for Catholics, because that, that's, the, that's the traditional religion I'm familiar with. Baptism, confirmation, and then confession and all of that. Energy healing is more... Again, there's so many modalities now. It's nuts, right? It's not using synthetic medicines, I suppose, or synthetic practices, like, you know, not using tools to, like, open you up or whatever, not using, I guess, like, like prescribed antidepressants or all of that. So they can be one and the same, depending on how you look look at spirituality would be my safe answer. (laughs) Cool. And... What healing modalities have you tried and what do you resonate with the most? Or do you apply a different kind depending on the situation? And can you give us some examples of or, um, how you've used them? I've, I've, I've studied uh, many modalities. There are obviously many more now. And it's like, getting, it's like getting a designer for your clothes. 
Some are more bagay to you than others. Some get you right away, your style, your shape. Some, it's not that they're bad designers. They're just, you're just not a, a match, right? I have tried, I started off with pranic healing, which is the crystal healing where we have a crystal, we hold it, and then we, well, some, some people can see energy and they can see up until, there's this lady that I used to follow, well, not follow, I used to read her books, like a proper book with paper and stuff. Her name is Carolyn Mice, M-Y-S-S. She's a medical intuitive. So she can actually see right into your body and your organs and your bones and she's able to analyze you. She's like a human x-ray. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah, she's like a human oh. x-ray. And she's very interesting. I mean, I've, I've read her books. I've read, I've listened to her audiobooks. I don't know. I don't even know if she's still alive. But anyway, she's, she, was, she was somebody that I would I aspire to be. So that was pranic healing with the crystals, um, which some people still do. And then I moved on to one of my favorite healing modalities, which, which is called theta healing wherein you use theta energy to do anything from scanning a person to removing negative energies. So that was something I practiced, I feel, the longest to the point that I could. I was actually teaching the course already. I was teaching in a theta institute here in Manila. And I had a lot of wonderful students, some of whom have become healers and teachers on their own right. And then, okay, I've done bars, I've done Reiki, I've done... I've done too many things. And then the one that I currently do now, I've done, I've done angel cards. Uh, the one I currently do now is called Millennium Method, which is a bunch of energy. To, to make it simple, it's a bunch of energy cards that have fractals on it. And these fractals act as symbols for your brain or your subconscious to pick up, which will in turn um, remove obstacles in your path. To get you to live your highest, most authentic self. So that is, those two are probably what I do more now, the millennium method and the theta. But millennium for me, in a way, is easier when I have to do a healing modality for others who are noobs in terms of energy healing because it's non-threatening. Not like that. Okay, I've also done tarot cards. Tarot cards can be intimidating because some of the symbols can scare people, right? Because the minute you see the devil or death like or death, power, yeah. right? Everyone's like, oh yeah. my God, am I going to die? I'm like, no, it's the death of something. Or Yeah, so I, I, I kind of like a Millennium. I also have Angel Tarot, which I like too because they're, they're, they look peaceful. So there, I, I do that. And I mean, as Bianca knows, I also don't sometimes need any tools to go and do stuff that I need to stop because of the training that I've had. Yes, I was going to ask if you were still teaching and practicing Theta Healing because I read online that you were <laughs> teaching the courses. No, I don't teach anymore. I don't think I'm built for teaching. I'm not noble enough to do that. Um, <laughs> I really, I really, I mean, I enjoy, I mean, I was a yoga teacher at some point and I realized, you know, teaching is not, teaching in that classroom setting is not my thing. Not for anything. It's just that it's not, I'm not built that way. I would rather talk to people like this. I'd rather have a conversation. Hopefully something I say sparks something in, in someone rather than like a class. It's, it works for a lot of people. It worked for me for many years, but it's, it, if I really loved it, I'd still be doing it. Oh, what, what steps can people take to tap into their own in it or to tap into their intuition and be more energetically aware? 
I think people don't understand that they are already probably quite intuitive. It's just that it's not put in a, it's not like categorized. So that's your intuition. But we've all walked into a room or a party and have seen, oh, I want to get to know that person and I don't want to get to know that person. That is in a way intuition. It's kind of like uh, you sensing danger to a lesser degree. Or you've made a decision kind of on the spot that made complete sense to you and it worked out. So that's still in this, that's still um, that's still intuition to a degree. Like if you said, oh, I want to work here or I want to buy this or I want to uh, travel here or invest here. So I guess one is I'm always going to go back to meditation first, breath work first. You can't be connected to anything else unless you're connected to you first because intuition comes from you. It's, in, it's, in, it's, it's inside, not outside, right? So if you're able to find a space wherein you can be quiet, then your intuition will be more objective than subjective. I don't know if that makes sense, right? Because, yeah. for example, the three of us, you know, we, we go to a party and you say, yeah, cat, but I heard that girl is like that, like that. I go into the party, there's already a bias. Because I'll trust you that you're telling me that girl is like that. So when I see her, I'm like, the first thing I'll see is most probably what you told me I would expect of her. Even right. if maybe the relationship I'm about to have with her as a friend or as an acquaintance is not going to bring that part out of her, but it's the first thing. I mean, it's the same thing if, Remember that there's that game now. Okay, don't think of an elephant. The first thing you're going to think mm -hmm. of is an elephant. So I guess meditation or the breath work or being able to go back to your breath allows you to take a step back, clear that, that, that slate for a bit, and then go into it again with fresh eyes. You know, it's like kind of like resting your eyes and then opening up and seeing things a bit clearer. So one is I will always say if you can meditate, if you can do breath work, start off with that. The second is... It might be interesting for you to sit down and write the times in your life where you got things absolutely right. Because there may be, it may be more than you know. Like, did I make the right decision to date this guy? Or did I make the right decision to buy this um, car or something? And I, then you realize, wow, I've, met, I've had the best trips with this car. Or I mean... Or even better, like, did I make the right decision to break up with this person? Absolutely, you know? So I would start off with that, especially since it's a pandemic and some of you um, don't feel ready to go out and explore. So write down the times when you felt, hey, I was right. Or if a friend asks you for advice and you gave them advice, again, you not being a licensed therapist, and when they followed it, it worked out for them. Or you set up a couple and they ended up together happily. So that's still intuition, right? Because there's no science to, to what will make people get along or not. Sometimes the most um, opposite of characters end up being like the best couple ever, right? And the ones that are super like, you think, wow, swak, swak. Oh my God, within three weeks, they want to kill each other now. And yeah. then I guess at the end of it, if you still feel you want to pursue it, then look into groups that can teach you. <laughs> I'm a little bit cynical about many of the groups there only because I listen to my intuition about them. So maybe listen to yours and see maybe the people, I know this sounds, this might sound a little small, but maybe see the people around them, see what they do 
I always feel that um, if it's a person who who works with a lot of people outside the healing community, that they normally are a little bit more solid because they say they put the strongest light workers in the most chaotic of places because they have to be that beacon. Because if you're if you're like a person who has high vibrations and good energy and you're with people who always have that same kind of thought process, you're not really influencing anyone, right? It's like preaching to the converted. So if you're but you if you're in a position wherein you're doing what you're supposed to do as a light worker, which is provide light to everyone, then that's what I would look for in a teacher. Somebody who I know who goes through the whole gamut of people from their social class to their social demographic to whatever. And if that person seems to be able to help them, then I would go to the teacher. And that's what I found with Tina because she has gone from like, super volunteer work of the people who are from, I guess, marginalized communities to the super duper like society potpots in the country. And it's more or less the same reaction from all of them. So it tells you something about her, not really about her clients because somebody who's, who lives in a super affluent neighborhood can have more or less the same issues as somebody who doesn't live in that kind of um, environment. Wow. That's amazing. That so you know, that actually reminded me of, sorry, I'm going to reference the Bible. Go ahead. No, don't be remind, sorry. <laughs> no, it reminded me of how Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors and yeah. prostitutes. And it's so true that you have to go out there and not yeah. just be with the same people yeah. you have to to influence and you have to and you can't judge you have to yes you have to be able to be with different types of people different perspectives and however you can help them yeah because it also you gives you again life. that yeah and it gives you that perspective on your own existence right because if you're with people who are comfortable and happy and good which is great it also doesn't challenge you to do more but if you see that there's a community or even just one person who you know you can help, then it'll make you grow as a person. It'll make you grow as a healer. That's what you want to be. It'll make you grow as a teacher because it's not, it's not easy work, right? Because if somebody's willing to be, willing to follow you, willing to, like if I told you, oh, you should meditate five times a day and because you're so believed, so, you know, sa akin, you'll meditate five times a day. I'm like, okay, that was easy. And remember, you don't also want to, okay, here's my caveat for anybody who's in energy healing. None of us as healers are foolproof. So do your own research, okay? It's kind of like being a cult leader, right? Because again, I can tell you stuff because it worked for me and I believe in it, but maybe it was just fortunate it worked for me. So when your healer or your teacher tells you stuff, question don't believe that person 100% because we're all human. We make mistakes. And we sometimes are still weakened by our own biases. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm like 100% non-judgmental. I'm so not, you know. So if, for again, form your own opinion. Do your own research. Even if I give you like a regimen, for example, to follow, question it. You have to question it. Because that's what's also going to give you your intuition to see if this thing works for you or not. 
there. That's my caveat for all of you listeners. If you decide to go on this path, great. But please also be smart about it. And please, the, the internet is full of like bullshit and truth at the same time. So when you do your research, check your sources. Look at science also. I mean, even if we say miracles can happen, the body is also built to function a certain way. So you have to also realize that maybe sometimes the things that are recommended for you to take, what if you're you're allergic to it? So don't put 100% trust in anybody without mm-hmm. doing a little bit of research on your own. When it comes to energetic medicine, obviously if it's a doctor, then you know they, they may have, they obviously have had years of study. They have science and evidence to back them up. But energy healing, it really is an area where it can be so relative to the person who's teaching and who's learning. They don't take anything at face value. No. I mean, yes. yeah. of course, if it's like a personal reference, like, you know, for example, Bianca trusts me, Marika, and says go to CAT for something then, you know, you can be a little bit more relaxed because you've had that reference. But, you know, if I tell you also something and you're like, eh, this doesn't sound quite right, you need to listen to that. Look into it. Yeah, yeah, you need to look into that. So if I say, I read you and I say, oh, Marika, blah, 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 blah. And then some of it will be like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And other will be like, wait a minute. You need to call mm-hmm. your healer out on it or the reader and say, Kata doesn't sound right. Because I could also be misinterpreting what I'm saying or I could be wrong. And I'd rather you call me out on my analysis and say, Kat, that's not how I feel. I actually feel it here. Then I can kind of like relook at it or then we can like leave it and say, okay, let's try this first and then go in steps. Not like everything I say, oh, 100%, I'm going to do it. No, please do not. Not just me, anyone. And as a healer, you're you're an empath, right? You pick up energies. Actually, a lot of us are hmm. we easily absorb or sure. pick up energies. Sure. We go into a room if someone's feeling down and they pour their heart out on us and you want to help, but you can sometimes pick up that energy. Yes. How would you suggest people can protect themselves okay. from energies, unwanted energy? Well, uh, another good friend of mine who is a natural intuitive <clears throat> like she basically was born as a kid she could already see duende spirits and she was never scared like the way i see the two of you is the way she would see all of these things okay always gave me this prayer to say when i was very early on in my healing days which was and you can change the name christ the word christ to whatever resonates with you so she would always say may the white light of christ and you can change that to god the universe whoever you believe in okay may the white light of christ shield and protect me from any and all negative energies in the best and highest way something to that effect i would prefer you guys to use your own words but that was more or less what she would <clears throat> tell me to say may the white light of christ shield and protect me from any and all negative energies and any and all negative people okay and then you imagine a waterfall snow or white light and it encapsulates you like an egg and what i realized is that people are really good at encapsulating themselves from here up until maybe their knees and then they forget to lock it at the bottom of their feet 
So if you're going to do it, imagine that your entire body until the bottom of your feet is like locked in that white energy. So that's one that you can do. That's quick. You can do it when you wake up. You can do it when you're about to go to a, a new place, about to travel somewhere. So that's one. The, the second is another thing I like to imagine is like it's called cutting the cord. So what the what my belief is, which is a belief of, of many healers, is when we're talk when you're talking to someone, when you're in relationship with someone, whether it's um, business, friendship, romantic, is we all plug into each other. We plug into each other's energy. So you plug into me, I plug into Bianca, I plug into Marika. So we're all plugged in, right? That's why we're having this conversation. So we're basically giving and taking energy from each other. So after this conversation, I mean, this is a light conversation, so I normally forget to do it. But if you're having a particularly heavy conversation with somebody, when you're no longer with that person, I would advise you to imagine that you have a huge pair of scissors and you just cut the cord. Okay, cutting that cord doesn't mean that the cord of love or the bond of love is gone. It's just that that particular energy of them taking from you, you taking from them is cut. So you don't bring it home, you don't bring it to bed or whatever. That's for me the, the, the simplest ways you can visualize the protection and then the not getting affected by the person's heavy energy. There's a lot more of this. Wow, that's that's great. I've, I haven't tried the cutting the cord yet, mm. but I do practice the white light energy okay and i wanted to ask does it work because i do it i have two sons and i always do it to my sons at night i just started sleep training my baby and when i put my 10 year old to sleep sometimes he's scared and he always says mama can you say um can you do the jesus white light again around me so i I mean we don't have a certain prayer i just say it like may jesus's or god's white light protect you or the celestial white surround you and then i i tell him to visualize or i visualize like the whole room being filled with white light. Yes. And I do that for my baby also because yes. sleep training means that you can't go inside the room. You have to yeah. let them cry. So I get anxious. Yeah, and so I, sure. it helps me to do that. And I was wondering if you can do that for other people. Absolutely. Like if you know, let's say a friend of yours is going to go on a trip, you can bubble her in light. You can bubble the plane. This is a little bit more complicated. But when I get on a plane, I basically ask for anything negative with all the passengers, with the crew, with the engine, with the ground staff, with the air control staff, all to be sent up to, if you want to call it heaven, to be cleaned and then to be sent down in a protective light. So I do that. I, it's, like I, it's like you're pulling dirt out of the plane from every person in the plane, from everybody flying the plane, controlling the plane, even the engine, because you know maybe there's leftover energy from whoever the technicians were. And I just send it up. Like I look at it as like black, dirty energy. And then I'm having it like washed in this huge laundromat upstairs. And then it's brought back down in a white light. And then I bubble the plane. And I say, and then my prayer is always, I will see you when we land. And I parang it's bubbled basically up until we land and, and everyone disembarks. So yeah, you can. I, I mean, love that. And the same way, like you do that, even if you're not on the plane, just imagine that you're kind of cleaning the plane for your whoever's going to travel. Or if you know that, let's say, if you are very close to a frontliner and you know they're about to go back into battle with COVID, you can also protect them. 
That's so great. And I really felt earlier when you were talking about the white light prayer of Christ the first time and you said the full prayer, I actually felt it. Uh, so that was really nice. And okay, I was really excited to ask this question because I've experienced it mm-hmm. firsthand. So when I, was this last year, I just moved in with Quark, my husband. So no one else had lived in this apartment before we did, right? But the minute I got here, oh my gosh, I really felt like, especially in the bedroom where I'm recording now, but it's all good. I really felt this presence of something just not, I don't know if it was like not wanting me here or just causing trouble. It was just very chaotic. And the first few months were really uncomfortable to the point that I told Kat, I could not stay in certain rooms by myself, Mm -hmm. especially the dining room. Like if Quark was there, fine. We could have a meal, have a conversation. But then the minute he would leave for work or to go DJ somewhere or something, and I was left alone, you know, despite having my laptop and technology, I would just get the heebie-jeebies and just feel like someone was watching me or watching me through our many, many statues and figurines because he's a collector. So he has all these already creepy looking monster (laughs) figures, which which I've grown to love. But in the beginning, like there's this, you know, this bloody boy and this painting. And I felt like they were all judging me and I Mm. would be alone. And even Sunny Jim was a bit weirded out. Like he would stick to me and we would just kind of sit there alone. And I would say, you know, if I'm, truly going to live here and call this my home, something has to change because this is not going to work for me, right? So fast forward to uh, we had Kat over for dinner and the first thing you said when you walked in through the door is you noticed this painting which is framed kind of like in the center of the room. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things you said was you do know that's a portal, right? But before we get more into that, you did you did the millennium method and you helped us cleanse the space and i cannot thank you enough for that because ever since then i just felt like the space was given a fresh slate and i was able to insert more of my i don't know if this makes sense but more of my energy and a friend gave gave us a tip of like printing more of our pictures together mm-hmm. so i've since then hung that up and claimed the space more but even at the time when i was trying to do these little things to make it more my space. I just felt that resistance. So do you have any advice for people who feel this invasion of space where they live, especially when they're moving into a new home? Like what steps can they take to? Well, I guess most people, especially here traditionally, they have the house blessed, right? So that already kind of gives them a sense of security that, you know, I had the priest come in, holy water, blessings, etc. And we did that, but oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. the thing is, is that gosh, I'm gonna get into so much trouble for saying this. Is uh, traditional religions only kind of look at maybe one kind of thing to remove, which is like the devil or or demons. But you know, we're you know we live in a in a in a universe that has so many things, right? That we don't that we're not even aware of. So I would say that one is. If you're feeling something odd in your space or in the space that you're living in, listen to it first and think about what it is. If it's something you can't explain, then maybe there is really something there because uh, a lot of the things we we live in are man-made, right? Um, 
our furniture is made by man in general. Of course, there's all these computer and production stuff. Our house is built by a man. Our artwork in in particular is all handmade, right? It's painted by hand. It's sculpted. Even if it's by a photographer, you know, it gets printed, etc. So they all leave their energy behind. So one thing you can do is if you move into a new house or a new uh, condo, if you can just find out why it was sold because that can already speak volumes okay if there was a rather tragic uh, background to it like maybe somebody died not like murder okay like they just died natural causes or even a breakup if uh, yeah or there was like a lot of anger or drama or let's say they had to sell the house or the condo because it they had no more money to pay it so there's sadness that was left there so if you can't find that out then I would probably advise to check first what you are surrounding yourself with in the house. So if you are surrounding yourself with images that are not light, then that will add energy to the house. Because in order for you to be surrounded, because I, I have friends who do collect paintings that are, in, for me, disturbing, but kaya nila. Because they're, 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 they're kind of detached from the painting. But some, because they feel a connection to the painting, right? That's why they bought it. So sometimes it, it reflects in their own lives or a certain sculpture that's a bit macabre, but they like it, you know? So that energy, that macabre energy kind of stays in the house. So if you're going to move into a new space, check what, the, check what the artwork is, in particular the artwork, because we're all quite visual. So what we see kind of like sinks in, what we see and what we hear sinks into our subconscious. So that's what my advice would be. So see if you can get the background on why the previous owners left to see what is surrounding your particular space and if it's disturbing you if you can get not man get rid of it especially if it's precious if you can store it or have it cleansed by somebody energetically for example or have it blessed whatever your belief is in see if that lightens also i would suggest that um, especially if you're living in a condo and you don't have the advantage of having a, a place to, to walk around that is more open. Like, there are a lot of condos here you can't even open a window, right? It's, it's an aircon-only space. Try to have things that are of nature in your area. Plants, uh, an aquarium, animals, but you have to treat them well. Don't just get a... Please, guys, don't get a, a, a dog or a cat just because I said it's good for your space. It has to be locked, okay? It's, you don't leave it there like a cactus and expect it to survive because that's that's another invitation for dead or negative energy so that would be my simplest advice banks as a general um, thing if you're going to move into a new space and if something makes you feel uncomfortable then there is a reason for it I'll, i guess i'll add this like sometimes the the artists you know they're in a mood when they're creating that artwork they leave that mood in that artwork so that's also what's in your space. So if they've painted this woman portrait when they were depressed or angry at her because maybe she's an ex, that remains in the painting. And then that's what's in your house or your bedroom or your condo. Got it. That's so helpful. Thank you. I wish I had known that. But then again, I'm happy I've discovered all these things <laughs> in the way that you showed us. You even said something about possibly moving the painting to face a window so that 
you know, yeah. there's just like energy ventilation of some sort. But yes. you know, knowing Quark, he was like, no, it, I like the placement of it. So I'm just yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the painting. The reason why I said that yours is a portal is because the the belief that I I have or what I was trained with is that if the painting has a, a window or a door or a basically a passageway that symbolizes the possibility of entry and entrance, it's a portal. Wow. So facing it to the window is like, okay, you go out, you come out of the painting, but then you go out the window, you don't stay in the house. Does it make sense? Okay, it does not make any sense, but that's what I believe. It does. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say shout out to my friend Dan because he, I told him the story and you know, I thought he was going to laugh, but then he said that in his family home, the same thing happened and they had a painting of this naked lady and at midnight, sometimes he and his siblings would go get a glass of water in the kitchen or, yeah. I don't know, midnight snack. And in their peripheral, they would see a naked lady walking around. So they were all freaked <laughs> out and they all talked about it. Like, are you seeing this? Like sometimes at night, like, yeah, it's not just me. And then they realized they had all been seeing it and it was kind of disturbing. So, and they, I don't think they were particularly fond of the painting. So the parents decided to just sell it. And then after that, they were fine. So no yeah. attachment there. Yeah, I believe that. I mean... You've experienced it, so <laughs> it's real for you. Yes. Moving on to energy and other kinds of relationships, particularly romantic. Mm. What's it like dating from uh, someone from a completely different culture? And I don't <laughs> just mean like, you know, British, Filipino, Spanish, Chinese, but culture also in the sense that maybe you don't always agree on the same things, like maybe on the spiritual aspect. Oh, sure. They just don't, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I was thinking in my head that after this is done and I tell Gus, oh, listen to my <laughs> podcast, you're going to hate it. <laughs> 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 and he will. He will absolutely, he'll probably want to commit me to a mental institution. So, I mean, that's basically what uh, make what enriches us in relationships, right? Um, things we allow our partner to be who their most authentic self, and allowing them to discover if their authentic self is uh, right or full of shit. I think what's interesting in any relationship is that you can have those discussions about your beliefs without fear of fear of being. I don't want to say judge because we all kind of judge, right? But without fear of them not wanting to be with you anymore, right? Because there are things that, you know, your partner doesn't believe, does and believes that you will definitely not agree with, but it's not all that defines your partner. So it has to also be how important are your beliefs to you? Because if you can live with your beliefs and live your life and what your partner believes doesn't like stress you out, then then that, that's how you make the relationship work. Now, if it starts to creep into your quote-unquote morality, then that's where you need to have a discussion first with yourself if this relationship is something you want to continue to, to grow and nurture or if it's something you really can't get over. Then that's where you have to decide, okay, I'm going to stick it out or I'm going to find someone else. It's not a, unfortunately, it's not a cut and dried answer. It's... It's a lot of discussion. It's a lot of eye roll. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but then at the same time, I've also noticed that because he has met 
many people who believe in what I've done for them. And when I tell them about my own experiences, it's real to me. It's my truth. I'm not like just, you know, uh, talking, talking lies. So he realizes that maybe there is some truth to what I say because at least it's true to me. And I've not done anything I feel that has harmed anyone or made them act in a way that is harmful to themselves and others. So I guess for him, it's like, well, okay, it seems to be working. So I won't get involved in the same way. I mean, Gus is an atheist. So for him, you know, you die, that's it. There is no God. There is no source. There is nothing. And I have to say that that does make me question like, oh no, what's going to happen to him when he dies, right? Or how can you live with that thinking that this is it? Like, this is it. Like, this is 2020. And if I die in 2020, that's my life, right? I don't get a second chance. But He's a good man, you know. He's what he's my best friend. I see that he's kind to, to so many people, and so maybe this whole thing about being an atheist it doesn't make him any less of a human being. And Pope Francis himself said that you know even atheists will be loved by God. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so all right, that's what the Holy Father said. I'm not gonna question him. <laughs> And culturally, are there any little tidbits or nuances you guys had to adjust to or cool things you learned? For example, I have a friend, uh, she's Filipina and her husband is British. And and in the beginning, he was like, wow, you guys love to take photos. Yeah. <laughs> just like a small little thing. Just like he noticed, like maybe Asians right. in general, just like, wow, you love to document like mm. everything you do. So things like that. Was there anything that came up early in the relationship? Oh my gosh, there was... There was lots. I mean, Gus is not active on social media. That's one, right? Uh, I think his Instagram mm-hmm. has maybe seven photos for the last five years or so. Okay. Uh, two, he he wasn't a texter. You know, if you date, I don't want to generalize, but I'll base it on on my exes for Filipino. You know, they they report. They're like, I'm on my way to pick you up. Uh, I'm in a meeting now. I'm having whatever spaghetti for lunch. Then oh, I'm home now. You know, for him it was or a like, novella. Yeah, a or a novella. novella. Like, <laughs> and and in the and in the beginning and up until this day, sometimes he won't text. Like he won't. He won't. Like he goes, "Why are you tracking me?" I mean, it was always his like thing. Because why? Why do you like? Why do you care? I, you know, I'm in the office, or you know, I'm traveling for work. You know, so that was one adjustment. Uh, I guess the second is. You know, Manila is so small, so he doesn't understand how come I know so many people. I mean, now he's amused by it, but before he was just like, everybody's Tito, Tita. It's like he couldn't go within 10 feet of anywhere without somebody going up to him and saying, oh, aren't you giraffe? Because that was my hashtag for him in the beginning. He's like, who are all these strangers who want to talk to me and who want to say hi? You know, it was just really funny. And you know, some some of my friends would be like, you know, like you're you're killing for your friends. So they'll see him in a month, they'll take a picture and they'll send him oh like, God. Oh, I saw Gus in like whatever oh in like BGC. Because he's I mean, you've seen him, he's he's not hard to miss, right? He's yeah, he's so really tall, tall, he has like salt and pepper hair. And he at in the beginning of our relationship, he was always in a in a suit because of his job, mm-hmm. because of his business. And then he would send it to me. So I would creep him out and be like, <laughs> house, whatever restaurant it is. Let's say house, uh, Starbucks in net, whatever, Santos. 
He'd be like, where are you? <laughs> are you here? Yeah. It was like big brother. So it was hilarious. He hated that. I mean, I, I would expect that anybody who is in general a private person, hence the lack of social media uh, presence, would hate to know that his girlfriend has, quote unquote, unintentional eyes all over the country, you know? <laughs> it's, it was hilarious. So that one. Second, I think what I found cool about it is there were no mind games involved. You kind of say what you want. And what I find most um, endearing about Gus is he made me into a better feminist, if that makes any sense. Because he was always like, why are you so afraid to say the correct answer when you know what the correct answer is. You know, because you know how we're kind of trained, like, you know, just kind of shut up if you're, you don't need to talk or if you know someone is wrong, don't speak up, especially if they're older than you or especially because they might think you're too smart. I, I Maybe that's not how you were brought up, but in a way I was always, not by my mom, but in general, I was always like, you know, try not to show the guy you're smarter than him or better than him. He, he was like, who gave you that BS belief? He goes, if you are correct about something, if you want something, you should say it. He goes, why are you trying to, you know, why are you trying to... Skirt around or make people feel comfortable. Yeah, skirt around. He goes, why are you trying to dumb yourself down? He goes, why are you working uh, up from a place of insecurity? And I think mm-hmm. that is what made me more... Um, I mean, I've always been kind of outspoken, but I've also tried to, I guess I've confused the words humility and just not speaking up, you know, because, you know, you also don't want to be the know-it-all in the room, right? Or the know-it-all among your friends. And no, you're wrong. I mean, it's just, I guess, the way you say it. And I realized that there, that that I'm empowered in that way to speak my mind more, but not in a forceful way that is kind of like sermon, but it's more like, oh, okay, well, what I, I mean, I, I disagree with that point because rather than like, no. And I guess the last one, uh, the last one is because I guess he comes from such an international background, having lived in many countries and in the industry that he's in. It's also made me more aware of um, the world rather than, just what's happening in certain parts of the world that I like. But, you know, I also realize that I can talk about politics and, eco- and economics in different countries and that I'm more aware of everything rather than just being quite insular with, you know, our relatively bubbly, bubbled life in Metro Manila. So, yeah. And what are your key pillars to a healthy relationship? Trust, first and foremost, there's no such thing as half trust. You know, it's either you trust that person or you don't. And if they've done something that made you lose your trust, then it's up to you to be able to rebuild that trust. And I guess be wiser about it and, and, and just know that, you know, people do have weak moments. Everybody does. And nobody is immune to making mistakes. And most of the time, I would like to think that people don't make that mistakes to hurt someone else. It's just that they weren't thinking about that someone else, hence they've made that mistake. Second is to be able to to really talk openly about things, you know, because I I mean, I'm guilty of this also in the beginning of a relationship. You want to be the perfect person, right? 
you want everything to be smooth you want you it's best foot forward and i'm not saying show all of your craziness in the first week of dating but you also can't suppress certain things that you like or certain things that you do and that person has to accept it or live with it or you can find a way to work around it so trust and being able to have an open an, an open and honest conversation without and this is the hardest part without being accusatory because right. that is our tendency right like they're like well because if you hadn't done this to me i wouldn't be like this i'm like well you know it's not going to help if you're blaming that person for how you are to say, well, this is really my tendency. And unfortunately I'm getting triggered by certain things you're doing, but I don't think I can change much because unless you help me and, and hopefully that conversation can be done in a mature way. The third, I suppose is to really have independent lives in the sense that, have your own set of friends too. have your own set of interests. Of course, there are wonderful couple things you can and should do together to build that bond, but you also need your space. I know it's not easy now because we can't really go anywhere. Right. <laughs> but it, hopefully when we can, you know, have your own space, hang out with your girlfriends or guy friends let him hang out with his guy friends and, and girlfriends or let him hang out with like-minded people because you can only find so much to talk about if it's just the two of you all the time and i know that at least in my experience like with Gus, since he does enjoy talking about stuff that i really don't i'm really not good at like economics and politics and finance and history i'm really not good i try i don't think i'm I don't think that man, I'm dumb. It's just that I don't talk about it in the same level that he does. So it's good if when he has the chance to meet people that he can talk to openly about those things. And I think, you know, that's that's something that we're lacking because we all because we're so family oriented in the Philippines, right? We all want to do things as a group. We all want to move around as, mm-hmm. as as a group. We all want to have this shared experience with people. But no, sometimes. You need a breather from each other. So it's trust, discussion, space. And I think the fourth thing that when I when I do counseling now for people, counseling is my healing, right? Is you have to like each other. There's a lot of people love each other because it's romantic or, you know, sex is good or it's passionate. And But can they be friends? Like if you remove all the other stuff as they get older or when the energy levels are like now in the freaking pandemic where 24 seven and especially those who have kids, they're around each other all the time. Whereas before they had a break, right? So they would go to work, kids would go to school. Now it's like everything's happening at home. You have to see if you can be friends because that's what it's all going to boil down to when Gravity takes over, even with the help of your mother-in-law. You know, things are going to sag. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. just reality, right? So um, many good quotables here. <laughs> you know, things are going to sag and things are not going to function like they used to. <laughs> and energy yeah. levels are not going to be optimal levels all the time. Can you be friends? And I think oh, that's God. what I find out that there are there's still love between a lot of couples and families, but 
they can't stand each other. You know, they're so annoyed with each other all the time because one another in each other's face all the time, and then parang they don't know. Aside from maybe the kids, and maybe aside from the initial things that brought them together, which is normally sexual attraction or the chemistry, they don't get along. Mm. So or the interests that, are just yeah, yeah. Build that friendship with your partner. You'll always have your girlfriend or your your boyfriend, you know, or your gay friend or whatever as your confidant. But you also need to have that same connection with the person you plan to spend the rest of your life with. And I love this Guardian article of Helena Bonham Carter. I don't know if you got to, to, to awesome. read it. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I like her. She's one of she's been one of my favorite actresses since I was super young. And she talks about relationships, and I don't want to spoil it for you because it's such a well-written article. But she does say that you know relationships sometimes they really are good for a certain period of time. They're good for each other for a certain period of time, and you can't guilt yourself if it doesn't work out in the end because maybe you really were good for each other at that some point of time at that level of the relationship and then you can still be good for each other but in a different level of relationship so she has still has a very healthy relationship with Tim Burton because one they have kids together but they're really friends and there doesn't seem to be any animosity and I'm like that would be that would be perfect for any couple that if they no longer can be a married couple or a romantic couple, and especially if their children involved, that they can still be super good parents and a family without the, the drama and the trauma attached to breaking up, right? I, I, I'll, I'll send you that link, Bianx, if I can find yes. it. Yes. Or you can yes, it. please do. I, I just watched an interview of hers. So mm. it's so funny you mentioned that because mm. I've kind of been on a Helena streak mm. and I just watched Room with a View oh, with yes. my friends. So yes, it's so yes, funny yes. that you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of, you know, movies and film, can you tell us about how you got into the world of producing and what you're working on now that really excites you? Mm, sure. Um, I actually started out as a photographer. So I did com arts in La Salle. So that was my, my, my course. I don't even think, I don't know if it still exists, BA com arts. Um, so I started off apprenticing in photography with Lita Puyat, who no longer is a practicing photographer. Now she's like a super chef. And then at that time, I graduated in the mid-90s. The hot job was advertising. It was like the golden the golden job. And so I was quite young when I graduated from college. So I wasn't allowed to be legally hired by the company. So I I was kind of like an intern. And so that was when I got my first taste of production because they moved me around departments. I went from creative department to sales, sales and accounting where I lasted for one week. And then I was invited (laughs) to try production. So I, I went and attended the advertising shoot and I just, fell in love I love the whole thing about the cameras not on not me in front but the whole process of the lighting and the production design and the costume and I fell in love with it and at the time the producer who I was interning for or under her name was Jane she said you know there's not a lot of female cinematographers in the country they're all men maybe there's one or two women but I think at the time there was only one lady and she was 
she was highly specialized by underwater cinematography. She says, why don't you study abroad and come back as a cinematographer? I'm like, okay. But she goes, but why don't you apprentice first? So I did. So I left um, that advertising company and I connected and I started to work for um, cinematographer director. So the first, my first boss was Manolo Abaya. He's a director. Um, he's the, I'm sure you know Mark Abaya of Quan and Sandwich. He's the dad. And then I moved on to, may he rest in peace, um, Trevor Hone. He was one of my favorites. He was the one who did the bench ads before, the, the iconic bench ad of Richard Gomez on a boat rowing. And he was he was like the natural like guy. So I friends with him. He, he was a wonderful man because he was so simple and he just thought that everybody was so OA in this country with their fancy lights and all of that. And then my longest term in um, assistant was with Matthew Rosen, who is the director of oh I, the name escapes me, but it's the it was the movie of um, Manolo Quezon, that that um, ex president, the former president. So he's he's the one. Anyway, I was with him for many years to the point that when I finally did my masters, he wrote my recommendation. Okay, so anyway, um, fast forward, I graduated from my masters. I moved. Um, I moved back here after a time, and then I started to I started to do um, advertising and film, and then I I realized after a while that I think I was an okay cinematographer. I wasn't brilliant, but I was really good at organizing, and I was really good at planning. And then I guess the producer part eventually started to happen because I can manage people and I can organize and so now what am I doing now that I'm currently excited by well there's a hopeful project in the works with Globe Studios which I think is just delayed because of the pandemic I'm also um, in pre-production for a short feature for CNN Philippines with a Japanese Mm -hmm. group which will air um, in January and I'm looking forward to more projects because unfortunately 2020 kind of like just put a plug into everything so I had I think two or three lined up for this year which um, nobody knows what's gonna in fact I just finished the film like we finished shooting a horror film that we shot partly in Japan and here with Regal it's called The Missing and it was going to be part of the first Metro Manila Film Fest summer edition in, in March April and of course that never happened so the film is still sadly floating so I'm excited to see it I mean I, I've always seen seen it but I'm, I'm, I'm excited and looking forward to seeing it hopefully one day either on in the cinemas or on on streaming the cinemas would be great fingers know, crossed for that but like we in Singapore so they're much. open already really yeah they're open well, they're I know a lot distancing. of drive-ins yeah. drive-ins in LA and yes. I know there's one here in Mall of Asia yes I've actually been oh really how yeah. was it yeah it wasn't bad I mean it was interesting because you know it was and sadly not so well attended because it was a foreign film <laughs> okay <laughs> and it was, well we'll uh, look out yeah I mean there's a film fest now it's the European um it's a European Union uh, film fest so they are having different films from different countries in the drive-in 
But, you know, it was just nice to be able to do something different, to be out of the house. You know, you're in your car, you turn on your radio, that's where the audio com- uh, comes in, and then you eat, like, popcorn and hot dogs. Popcorn. Yay. Cool. <laughs> I'm well, obviously we'll be on not espousing healthy eating. Yes, please. <laughs> I mean, gosh. <laughs> we shot in Japan a year ago, basically this month. Because we were there November 14 to November 20-something. So it's been a year. Wow. And speaking of Japan, what's what's your dream travel destination right now? Like, wh- where's oh. the first place you want to go once you're able to travel abroad? I would like to see Gus. So I'm not really picky. Uh, if it's Singapore where he's at, then it's Singapore. If it's, I'm not really going right now for the for the travel experience. It's really more to reconnect with somebody I love. But if it were just like, oh, everything is normal and we, we can travel again, I'd, I'd go to Europe. I'd, I'd go anywhere in Europe because that's where I feel the strongest affinity. Wow. And we just want to say we love how you make it a point to wear outfits by local designers every Friday <laughs> in an effort to support the local fashion industry. It really brightens my Friday when I see it. It's oh, like, thanks. oh, that's so nice. It's so hard I'll to be creative though, Bianca. No, it's great. It's getting I harder love the and angles. harder. You can do it. Like, oh and who are your favorite Filipino designers at the moment? Okay, well, I've always loved Ivar Aceron, Ivar Luski Aceron. I like him because his style is um, it's more tailored. So I have funny retail body. I always say I have funny retail body. So I always have to choose what I buy off the rack. So in terms of... Um, Ivar, since his stuff can be quite structured and made to order, it fits my shape better. So I, I like him. He's a, I know he's he's a how do you call it? He's a mindless choice for me because I don't really have to think. I also am a fan of Joey Samson, although I haven't had anything made with him in in quite a bit. But you know, every time I wear one of his pieces. It's always a conversation starter. People always stop and ask me, oh my gosh, you know, who are you wearing and blah, blah, blah. In terms of like color and print, I, I love the sort of easygoingness of um, Rosanna Ocampo. When I also used to, I mean, sadly, because of my current life as a producer, I don't get as dressed up as I used to. Not like before, I used to be, I used to be with a magazine, so I, I had an excuse to to patronize a lot of these designers and um, wear their stuff. Hmm. There's so many to choose from because there are honestly just a lot of people who are so creative, but I guess those would be the top. Ivar is the one that I've been using the most in the last couple of years for sure. Um, but there's so many young ones too are so good, you know? Yeah, it's it's exciting. It is. It's, it is. Yeah. And food-wise, oh my gosh. over the pandemic, any new favorite discoveries? Because I'm also a fan of your, your stories. I always get hungry. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, top three. Like, who are your favorite new discoveries? Oh, new. Oh, let me or, okay, well. Me, like, you're tried and tested. Okay, well, there's this uh, Hainanese chicken guy, Stevie's Hainanese chicken. That's so oh champion. Gosh. It's really champion. It's like it's like winner all the time, you know. Um, so I've also 
during their anniversary, I ordered the El Circulo, not they're not called El Circulo anymore, the Circulo anniversary special, wherein it was everything from paella to to beef belly to their sisig, um, croquetas. So for me, that was like a win. I also like Benjarong for their Thai restaurant. So, Yum. oh, and for Japanese, uh, Kazunori. But for outdoors, okay. Wow, there's so many. Actually, okay. If in terms of in terms of cuisine, um, for Indian mantra, it's really really good. Yeah, I highly recommend. I also had a really delicious meal at the beginning of. I guess it was the first GCQ. I took out a friend and we ate in Metronome. They have this like lobster spaghetti thing. It's super good. That one is really 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 really. Getting hungry. Yeah, me too. This is lunch. I wish I could cook more. Mm. <laughs> we should move on since we're all hungry because cats, all of cats' recommendations. They so can salivate. What keeps you grounded? Oh, do we have a choice right now? We're all grounded. <laughs> we can't move. What keeps me grounded? Um, I guess it's always checks and balance, right? Self-checks and balance. Because uh, as I said earlier, I have my dips and I get so frustrated a lot of times, you know, and I, I still have the, the uh, I still long for what it was before 2020. Um, but, you know, when there was a time in September when I, I felt an, an all-time dip where I was like, you know, I, 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 I don't want to get out of bed. I want to, and I was having a hard time sleeping. And then when I would sleep and I would wake up, I would like not want to get out of bed. So I did ask for help. So I actually booked a a session with Dina where we were able to work out some issues. And again, when it was permissible, I would ride because for me, it's the being outdoors and connecting with this, you know, this, this animal that I love and it's exercise, right? It it, it does it, it does have physical activity, and I am a very active person in general. And to be able to do something where I can sweat a little bit, where I have some air, I have some sun, so those things. And I really have a good support system. I believe you know I do have good friends who who, who like you listen to me when I have these weird moments of when I can see stuff and when I can hear stuff. My mom, I think, is a very big influence in my life because she's never been a judgmental person. You know, I mean, obviously, like everybody, she also has her biases. But since I was a kid, I could always remember that my mom trusted me so much that I was one of the few girls my age who was allowed to go out without really a curfew. I was allowed to sleep over in people's houses and I was allowed to go out with, with boys. I mean, not necessarily dating, but if my guy friends wanted to take me out, she said, yeah, she goes, you know, I feel you'll be safer surrounded by guys because she felt that they would look out for me, you know? So that's why I never had this bias of like, Oh my God, you're with all guys. Be careful. It's more like, Oh great. I'm with good guys. They'll take care of me. They'll make sure that I get home. They hope they'll make sure that I don't drink something I'm not supposed to, or if I don't drink too much. And so I always feel like my mom, like if 
during the time when I would go out, if I, I had like a loose curfew and if I was having fun, my mom just said, just call me if you want to extend because I'd rather know where you are. Then you not tell me and then you sneak in or you don't show up and I'll be freaking out. So I would and at the time it was really just landline. So I would call wow. and say, mom, can I stay at another hour? I'm here. I'm with these people. And she'd be like, yeah, go ahead. And I would go home when I would tell her because she gave me that responsibility because she always told me like, you know, I'm going to teach you all of these things because I don't want you to be ignorant and say you didn't know. So I'm going to talk to you about what it is to go out, what you're going to start to feel when you like guys, what's going to feel like when you have any kind of uh, sexual urges, like when you have your, like I remember when I had my first boyfriend, my mom sat me down and said, if you ever feel like you love this guy enough and you want to have sex with him, you tell me, I'm going to teach you about birth control. And she also said that sex is the woman's choice. If you say yes, you are, you consent to it, but you also have to know that the consequences are pregnancy or sexual disease or whatever but you take responsibility for it because you said yes. And I don't want you to go into that relationship saying, I didn't know or whatever. So she goes, know that. And you have to trust that when you're ready for it, you're ready for it. And nobody else will tell you when you're ready for it. So that is something I've always felt that a lot of women, maybe not now, but a lot of women looked at their sexual urges, which are normal, as so taboo. They won't yes. alang tell their parents and then they trust what their boyfriend and hopefully and if he turns out to be an asshole are saying the whole, if you love me, you'll do it. And then they end up doing something that they regret. So when I finally did have my first sexual experience, I was old and mature enough to know that this is something that does not obligate the guy to do more for you and vice versa. So I, I, I went into it with a more level head and it was you know, something that wasn't like, I wasn't expecting fireworks because that's just what Hollywood says, right? Or if you're really lucky and it's Ryan Gosling, but anyway. <laughs> that's the dream. Your mom sounds like an intelligent woman. Yeah, I think my mom is very good because really she was cool progressive. Man. You know, she was progressive. She was educated, um, even if it's by nuns in the U.S. Uh, for college and she put me in a progressive school. Maria Montessori. And I think that really helped because it wasn't all about rules and the same thing in Montessori. They encourage you to question. Like you don't just look at your teacher and your teacher says, well, you know, the sky is blue. You say, why is it blue? Or how do you know it's blue? Thank you so much for your time, Kat. We really like learned so yeah. much. Yeah, thank you. It was so great. Thank you so much. Like I have some things to reflect on. <laughs> Once again, thank you to everyone tuning in. Stay safe, take care, and catch you next time on Grounded Radio.